Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Nerds Rule Inc.'s Fix Your Crown podcast. Today, you're joined with me, Tope, one of your many guests, and I am joined with a special guest, um, Ify Ogushi, went to high school with me, so we're not strangers. Um, yeah, and so she recently graduated from Harvard on a pre-med track in economics, with a major in economics, I should say, and Currently, she is um, at a primary care physician's clinic that serves part of Charlotte's Black community while she studies for her MCAT and hopefully applies to med schools next year. Thank you for being here with me, Ify. Yes, thank you for that lovely introduction, Tope. Um, I'm very excited to be here. I, like I said, have always wanted to do a podcast, and I think that this is a great topic. Also super appropriate because we're recording on election day, so. Yes, we are recording on election day, which is kind of nerve-wracking. I'm very nervous. By the time this airs, we'll already know, we'll probably know who the president is, but I'm very nervous. I hope our country still exists by the time this airs, (laughs) so. (laughs) I really do. Hope there's not a civil war tomorrow, but only time will tell. Yeah, me and Effie have voted early which which is good. I hope everyone that is tuning in voted. And I hope that it went well. <laughs> we'll you see. live in South Carolina too. That was an yeah. interesting Senate race. Did you get to vote? Yes, I, yeah, I voted for Jamie Harrison. Okay, I would kept on getting Jamie Harrison ads on my uh, radio stations, even though I didn't live in South Carolina. And I was like, man, he sounds like such a nice guy. I hope he wins. <laughs> So mail like has been coming in for voting and there was one from Lindsey Graham that was against Jamie Harrison, but the whole thing was filled with Jamie Harrison, AOC and Bernie Ah. Sanders. First look, it looks like an ad for Jamie Harrison. (laughs) My dad was like, is this, uh, is he sending emails? Like, no, it's from the Republican party, like telling me to vote for (laughs) <laughs> Lindsey Graham. It's like actually so interesting how they weaponize certain individuals who like in some realms are icons. Mm-hmm. Like when I went to the polls they were like stop AOC Bernie Sanders and like I can't even remember who else like Kamala Harris or like somebody else Ilhan Omer probably. Um, and yeah like they throw in Jamie Harris. I don't even think Jamie Harrison and AOC necessarily have the same politics. I don't know if they'd have the same approach to policy formation. Like, I don't know whether they'd even agree with each other on stuff. But the fact that the Republican Party, like, will weaponize, like, individuals like that just to lump them in by association, make them all seem like evil, radical leftists, like, it's such a bizarre approach. There's an ad that's running in South Carolina where it's Jamie Harrison interviewing Bernie and he says he's a socialist. So you're a socialist. They cut that part and then they go to um, Jamie Harrison complimenting him saying he's a good man. And then he was like, Jamie Harrison (laughs) loves socialists. (laughs) Don't vote for him. It actually, I don't know if the rest of the country is like this, but it's like really embarrassing to see the political ads that run in the South because they like actually will chop and screw anything together. And their entire like basis is just scare tactics on things that are not real. Yeah, I know in North Carolina, Cal Cunningham, I'm tired of hearing the Cal Cunningham cheated on his wife. I know, exactly. (laughs) They're just like, literally, I got a text message today. I'm actually going to read it because it was kind of ridiculous. Let's see. What did it say? 
Instead of Cal Cunningham will risk his family to have an illicit affair, then what else is he willing to risk? North Carolina cannot trust him. Say no. And like, I get text messages like that every single day. And I'm like, you know, I also think that cheating on your wife is a horrible thing to do. But um, I don't know if our current president is a much better example for how we should be trusting our politicians based off of the way that they treat women personally. Exactly. I, it's just oh. funny that they're running those types of ads when our actual president has done more severe things than that exactly exactly donald trump i guess had the decency to at least divorce his wives before he decided to marry new young ones so yeah. mm -hmm. there we go we haven't actually announced our topic for today but we will be talking about um if he wrote a letter along with a couple of black alumni from our high school charlotte catholic high school that is a call for school reform in racial disparities that we've seen in our education system. We both have been a part of the MAC system. We both know that there are problems within the system that have kind of been detrimental to people of color that have attended those schools. And before we dive into that topic, we want to go briefly over an overview with there has been a great rise in intolerance for racism and I think the catalyst for it all really started in May. I mean, many people have been home during the pandemic and I think that it has had us all realize that we have just been complacent, like just allowing these things to happen. And so May 25th, 2020, George Floyd was killed by a police officer, Derek Chauvin, while three of his colleagues stood by and watched him do this. He had his knee on his neck for over nine minutes. And after this, there was an influx of protests um, worldwide, in fact. Um, I know Charlotte still has been protesting. I don't think there has been a single day where they haven't not been protesting. I was in downtown the other night, like last week, and I still saw protesters. It's still going on, even though the media is not covering it as much. Yeah. I think during the month of May, it was just, Ahmed Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and then George Floyd. And yeah, I back to back to back. That kind of catalysted us into where we are now. The Black Lives Matter movement, um, which was originally founded in 2013 and has been very active, picked up momentum and has been seeing a lot more support, I would say. Um, I also want to talk about how it's important to be activists, but at the same time, I've been seeing a lot of people being performative activists. It's one thing to be active online and in social media, but it's also another thing to put it into practice. Yeah, 100%. That's actually a conversation I've been having with my friends a lot is talking about like, like, where do you draw the line between doing something for the greater good and doing something out of self-promotion? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that is a something that needs to be discussed and something that needs to be explored more and something that everyone who is trying to like do good needs to be cognizant of, like not just sharing things so other people get the impression of you as being someone who is like woke or like down or someone to be looked up to or admired and like actually just doing things because you care, which sometimes means doing them quietly. Mm -hmm. It's really surprising to see in brands, especially the performative yeah. activism that they've had. I think um, Black Lives Matter kind of became a trend and they were just hopping on the trend. It's been acceptable to say Black Lives Matter. A really great example is the NFL. 
Yeah. Um, I don't even watch football, but um, for years, um, Colin Kaepernick has been taking a knee and he lost, he stopped playing football because of it, basically. Yeah. And now the NFL is like, yes, Black athletes matter, Black lives matter. And it's kind of a slap in the face when one of your players was trying to bring awareness to the issue of police brutality. And they kind of were just like, yeah, we can't tolerate this. You kneeling for the flag, having a silent protest, basically peaceful protest. Yeah. I thought that that was literally disgusting. And I don't know that the NFL has ever given him a formal apology. I feel like they have apologized for being generally racist in the past, but I think that if they really wanted to right their wrong, they need to say, we saw Colin Kaepernick doing this years ago, and we said it was wrong because we were in the wrong. Um, I don't know if that will ever happen. Maybe it has happened. I don't think it has, as far as I'm aware. I haven't seen anything of it. Yeah, I don't think it will happen because I think when brands are as big as that, I don't think they like to say that they made a mistake. Right. So it's very hard for them to be like, yes, we made a mistake, but we, going forward, we want to try and be better. Exactly. And, and so I just think that it's like a hugely ironic point for an institution like the NFL that literally like very much directly relies on the labor of like black people, like black men specifically, black athletes specifically, but like very heavily where the majority of the NFL is black to not see the cognitive dissonance there where like if people are standing up for what they believe in because they feel like the institutions of the United States have like done black people dirty for you to not care is just like such an overt form of like exploitation like at that point you know that you don't care about the people who you're working with like you're literally just using them for money mm -hmm. but yeah no and so with that being said, we, if he saw an issue and um, saw an issue with racism in the education system, and we could talk about just the overview of racism in education, and this could be literally two podcast episodes because there's so much to go into. Yeah. But um, I just want to give everyone listening a brief overview that um, racism is systemic and it's it infiltrates every single aspect of life if you could think of anything and it's rampant in the education system especially the public education system yeah. um most um most public schools they don't have equitable funding for schools and most of the money the funding that comes for public schools is from property tax and because of the way the school district lines are made through gerrymandering which helps with electoral votes, but also hurts the people of color students because then they are placed in schools that are underfunded, outdated, and sometimes just dangerous because there's plumbing issues, there's not good water there. Yeah. It kind of affects their education. If you go to a school that is underfunded and doesn't have updated textbooks, you're not getting the education that you deserve as like, a U.S. citizen or just someone that is going to public school in general, you're there to get an education. It's kind of hard to do that if everything is outdated or yeah. there's funding to do that. No, that's so true. Like you and I were in uh, like a place of privilege to be able to go to the school that we went to, despite the fact that it had many problems and was 
some might say traumatic, but (laughs) um, definitely very grateful for the education that it provided just in terms of like material resource. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, I don't know, we went into school every day and like felt safe for the most part. Um, at least like physically safe, like didn't think that any harm would come to us by any of like the faculty who were there or any like people from the outside. Um, Like it was like a secure building. Like we also like had all of the books that we needed for school. Um, Like we had like, for example, I talked to one friend who, um, she's not from North Carolina, but she told me how she was in AP Chem when she was in high school and because her school didn't have enough funding, she literally had to like do like private fundraising on her own to be able to get materials to do experiments to be able to finish AP Chem. And I'm like, that's ridiculous for a school to not be able to offer a course like as basic as like AP Chemistry, literally because they don't have like lab materials, like they don't have chemicals or they don't have like beakers and test tubes. Like that's insane, but that's like the types of things, like the types of disparities that legitimately exist between different schools, especially in the public education system where you have like, I don't know, neighborhoods that get millions of dollars in funding in neighborhoods where the property taxes just aren't high enough to support people. But I think it's interesting in Mecklenburg County specifically, um, which is where our school was, um, that like I learned in 2000, before the year 2000, things were a bit more equitable and the schools were a bit more integrated uh, across the public school system because they had busing rules that were put into place. I think like from the legacy of like the original integration of schools like in the South. Mm -hmm. And so with the busing, like it ended up kind of mixing people who lived in different neighborhoods because the neighborhoods were really segregated. And so then the like outcomes between different schools were like good. And like, it's interesting because when you talk to like older black people who live in North Carolina, like they'll talk about how schools and like with the West side of Charlotte, like used to be good or they used to be better and now they've gotten quote-unquote run down or quote-unquote like not as good anymore and it's literally because like in 2000 the state senate of North Carolina decided to vote to end the busing so that way the schools would go back to just being like exclusively regional and that probably also was a huge gerrymandering time uh, where all the were redrawn and like the south of charlotte was probably kept like a certain way and then myers park and dilworth were just like stuck in there randomly and because of this it's basically having de facto segregation basically yeah well aren't uh, schools aren't integrated they technically are but more so than not people are not going to be seeing walks of different life yeah the neighborhoods that they live in and it'll be most strongly correlated by like income where Mm -hmm. students who are from lower income backgrounds will be with lower income students students from higher income backgrounds will be with higher income students and like higher income students will get all of the the benefits of that another thing that i was actually talking to someone about yesterday was how school choice policies affect these things um and like it's funny because someone's mom was telling me that the reason why she was contemplating voting Republican this election was because they were pro-school choice and she was like I like this idea like for myself and my son because if I want to take him out of the public school system and put him into private school I'll get a reimbursement from the state um, 
for like the ten or eleven thousand dollars that he would have been like consuming in the public school system and like in one like regard it sounds like a good idea where it's like oh yes like if your kid's not in the public education system then that's a way for you to like get a little come up and put them into somewhere else instead but at the same time that's not an equitable system like you'll be pulling thousands of dollars away from the public school system with every single kid who decides to leave and then like small shrinking the pool of like resources that can then be reallocated to places that don't have enough on their own um and also like that's not like a reasonable option for people who live in like rural areas where you'd have to drive like literally miles to be able to get to another like better or viable school option um but that's like another like I don't know, very like neoliberal like approach to schooling and public education that some people are very in favor of because it, on paper it like sounds like, you know, the nice neat libertarian thing to do, but realistically it does end up screwing over like helpless kids, you know? Yeah, it does. And then on top of that, not for us, of course, the school that we went to, there is just such an amount of surveillance. There are cops in schools. Yeah. There are cops in schools that basically were put there to protect the students, but at the same time, it's making black students feel less safe. They have all these cops there, but then they won't have counselors. They won't have nurses. They right. won't have psychologists. They aren't doing the work that needs to be done beforehand to even prevent all of the steps that cops are supposed to be there and for the first place. And then instead of having an education, black kids are just being policed at school as well. And that creates the school to prison pipeline. They are not getting the education that they need. The other day was listening to the radio. Um, I can't remember where it was. I feel like I was on a long road trip and I was either going to Mount Holly, which is like a small town that's north of Charlotte, it's like much more like small towny like rural mm -hmm. or it was when we were on our way back from chapel hill um but either way we were like in a rural part of the state and uh, like because it's election season like we're hearing a lot of campaign ads and like one of them was like on the basis of like keeping school resource officers in school and it was like this lady and she was like our kids deserve to be safe at school like make sure you keep your uh, school resource officers on like a fight to keep them funded in our schools. Like they're doing a good job for our children. And I thought that was such an interesting campaign point because like I'd heard so much about how school resource officers like actively make the school environment feel less safe for so many students. And I think that for you to think that's like having officers in the school, like surveilling students at all time is a positive thing or something that makes your students feel more safe is like coming from such a strong place of privilege. Yeah, um, for them, cops are seen as someone that keeps them safe, but it's not the same for everyone of every background. Cops aren't, so they don't keep everyone safe as we've seen, sometimes they're the antagonists. And in schools, they very much are antagonists. They're not really protecting, they're just policing children that are there to learn. No, exactly. One of my friends actually is um, really into like education reform and she, gosh, I wish I knew where this was. If you follow her on Twitter, her name is at Nellie Midwest. So that's N-E-L-L-Y, like Nellie, like the artist, and then Midwest. Um, and probably in her media somewhere, 
you would see a video of uh, this like infographic that she made talking about uh, student or school resource officers in schools and like the effects that they have. I wish that I could find like a link to it directly. If I can, I'll plug it at some point in time or I'll send it to you so you can share. But it was a really, really informative infographic, especially because I hadn't known that much about them because we didn't have them in our school. Um, and I think that says a lot also, like the schools that end up having them and the schools that don't. But yeah. Okay, so now is there anything else that you would like want to add to the discussion about racism in the education system before we get into? Um, I mean, there's so much that could be said, but let's get on with our stuff. Yeah. Okay. So on July 3rd, you sent out this link. You po you plugged it on your Instagram and it was a link tree that led to a letter urging the Diocese of Charlotte to commit to immediate immediate change, changes within its schools. Mm -hmm. And so we are part of the Mac school system, which is basically the Mecklenburg area Catholic schools. So we did go to a private school up in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. And a little bit about Max. it's a school system that's made up about nine schools ranging from elementary school to high school and pre-K included. And the schools that we ended up going to, you went to Holy Trinity, correct? Yeah, I did. So Holy Trinity is the middle school and then that basically pipelines into Charlotte Catholic, which is the high school that we attended. I live in South Carolina, so I went to St. Anne's Catholic School which originally did also transition into um, Charlotte Catholic, but they started their own high school. And so now they're part of like the South Carolina Catholic school system. So it's not, it's the same, but not the same different diocese. Yeah. So on July 3rd, if you sent out this letter and I'm going to read it to you guys, July 8th, actually, sorry. July 8th, she sent out this letter 2020 addressing the diocese of Charlotte. And I'm going to read it for you guys. To whom it may concern, the following words were shared last month by our very own Bishop Jugas, who in an address commenting on the state of race relations in our nation, quoted, Racism arises when either consciously or unconsciously a person holds that his or her own race or ethnicity is superior and therefore judges persons of other races or ethnicities as inferior and unworthy of equal regard. When this conviction or attitude leads individuals or groups to exclude ridicule, mistreat, or unjustly discriminate against persons on the basis of their race or ethnicity, it is sinful. Racist acts are sinful because they violate justice. They reveal a failure to acknowledge the human dignity of the persons offended, to recognize them as the neighbors Christ calls us to love, end quote. These words are particularly relevant in light of the countless instances of racist violence and abuse suffered by Black people across the nation. However, while acknowledging the racial injustices at the forefront of national conversation, we have held a mirror to our own community and believe that there are also issues of race much closer to home that must be addressed as well. We, a group of concerned Black alumni who have graduated from the MAC system, are writing to you to express our collective disappointment with the way that the elementary, middle, and high schools of the Mecklenburg area Catholic schools have dealt with racism. 
Many former and current Black students of the MAC system have had negative experiences specifically because of the racism that the MAC system has often left unchecked, despite the fact that the MAC's organization claims to be witnesses to the love of Christ for all persons and that they shall not discriminate on the basis of race, color, sex, age, physical condition, national or ethnic origin. In the spirit of encouraging our schools to live up to this statement, we are demanding that changes be made as soon as possible to address these issues. We and other Black students who have passed through the MAC system have faced countless instances of racial insensitivity and race-based aggression. We frequently feel uncomfortable in our classrooms because of the sentiments of our classmates or our teachers. When these instances arise, generally our complaints are not valued by our teachers or the administration and changes are not made. Subtle and overt racism from students, parents, or even an indication that the culture of the MAC system does not embrace such values. The lukewarm response received in response to the pain of Black students and families in the school system is insulting and unacceptable. In addition, we do not see ourselves represented in our educational experiences beyond the low rate of Black retention, which is due in part to the poor job the system does of caring for Black students. We do not have Black teachers or mentors available to us in school. We do not learn about our histories or the contemporary issues that are pertinent to us in our classes, and we do not see representation of us in the church or taught in religion classes. The statements above provide a brief summary of the issues that have plagued our school system for years. Many of us could go into much more haunting detail about the things we've both witnessed and personally experienced that have harmed us. And in fact, if the leaders of Max are confused as to what kinds of issue its Black students are dealing with during the, their time in the system, a short list containing anecdotes from some students has been compiled and can be read in the other document accompanying this letter. In response to all of this, we as Black alumni of this system believe that there should be system-wide reform. It is the responsibility of the leaders, administrators, and educators of the MAC system to try to form students into members of society who engage respectfully with Black people and all members of society and who ascribe equal dignity to all individuals, whatever their background or any other aspects of their identity. However, right now, the system is failing to do so. The reform we would like to see should occur at all levels, at all schools, from pre-K through 12th grade, among the faculty and the administration. We demand curriculum reform for all ages of students designed to impact students with a worldview that mitigates any ignorances and learned prejudices. We demand greater education on the part of faculty and administration about what racism looks like in schools and how they should be handling it. Not only when it comes from students, but also from themselves. Finally, we demand a system of accountability to be put in place to ensure that the goal of improving Mac's racial climate is constantly being upheld in all of our schools. This goal, improving Mac's racial climate, is imperative and should be the personal responsibility of every single faculty member, administrator, the office of the superintendent, the clergy, and the non-Black families belonging to this school system. These demands feel especially relevant given our current political climate in which the fact that Black lives everywhere are systemically undervalued is becoming a mainstream issue. In order to help facilitate this cultural shift in the MAC system, we have drafted a document outlining several actionable items that the school system should implement as soon as possible. 
There are numerous suggestions for changes to the curriculum at all grade levels that will integrate anti-racist thinking into the education system. There is a proposal for the introduction of a diversity position in the office of the superintendent, as well as the introduction of an independent body in order to create mechanisms of accountability. There are calls to hire more black faculty members and suggestions for how faculty can better serve black students. There's a call for all students and faculty to undergo diversity training with a professional cultural consultant. And there are several other actions items to be considered all of which we believe will be integral to the successful adoption and development of a welcoming and holistically pro-life culture at Max. Pope St. John Paul II once said, racism is a sin that constitutes a serious offense against God. As an institution united under the body of Christ, making the concerns of our brothers and sisters our own concerns and taking action in the face of injustice is our calling from Christ himself, who told us that whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. We hope that this call to action can inspire a collective effort to make Max a better place for current and future Black students, as well as transforming it into an educational institution that forms students into empathetic and virtuous citizens who strive to carry out our Lord's commands here on earth and create a more authentically inclusive society. We look forward to hearing from you. Sincerely, the Alliance of Black Alumni of Max. That is the letter that um, a group of Black alumni wrote to our Mac system. Ify, do you want to speak a little bit about it? The letter was very powerful. Um, yeah, sure. So, I mean, that's what it says is basically what it is. Like, it was our way of introducing this uh, kind of effort for reform. Um, the Mac system has been like in existence since the 1950s I believe um and like as far back as I can remember I feel like almost every single like black person I know who has been through the system uh just has like negative experiences there just because it's such a like for context it is incredibly homogenous like actually so incredibly homogenous like statistically i'm pretty sure that charlotte catholic high school where we went is at least when i say it, like at least 95 percent white um perhaps two percent black maybe three percent anything else um and then obviously being a Catholic school is overwhelmingly like Catholic. Mm -hmm. um, occasionally we'll have other like cousin Protestants like Episcopalians or mm -hmm. something like that. Um, like granted, a lot of the students there might not necessarily practice Catholicism, but they're at least culturally Catholic. Um, it's like overwhelmingly upper middle class as well. Um, so yeah, a very homogenous environment. And I think that with that like homogeneity comes uh like a lack of cultural sensitivity for people who are different than you um which growing up in that environment and having it be unchecked like not only by your fellow classmates but also by teachers and administrators who perhaps like either innocently or not innocently don't realize or don't care that those things are going on is like definitely not healthy for like young black kids or young kids of color to be experiencing 
especially when you're growing up, especially in elementary school. Yeah. It's very important. I remember, um, especially like black hair and stuff like that. I remember I got my hair done in the second grade and I had beads in my hair, you know, like the traditional like beads look. And I got in trouble for it and I wasn't allowed to have like that hairstyle anymore. And it was my favorite one when I was like growing up. And just from that alone. And then also growing up in elementary school and middle school, like people are very mean. And I remember I, I, I have braids in right now. Um, I would wear braids all the time, but you know, like you can't, it's a protective hairstyle. You can't keep it in all the time. And I would take my hair out. And then from then, if I would take my hair out and I was at school, people would make fun of me for having yeah. my hair out. And it ingrained in me um, some anti-Black behavior. I would go I, from seventh grade, I would take out my hair on Friday, get it done Saturday. Oh my God. So I wouldn't have to go to school without my braids in because I just didn't want to deal with that harassment. And it took until like senior year for me to unlearn that and yeah. like actually learn how to do my own hair. And I just think about that and I think about how sad it was that like for a period of time I was ashamed of my own like natural hair just because I didn't want to get made fun of during school because no one understands what black hair is because there's only like five black students in your class or like even like in our classes when they're split up there may be like one yeah person in your class sometimes zero if i'm not there maybe nobody is no but that's so true and i feel like like having this conversation i always like to like contextualize these things because i feel like in the grand scheme of the world like this is not the worst problem ever yeah um, and also like there are other like worse issues of racism or like more lethal forms of racism like you know like being going to an under-resourced school that is like actually physically dangerous or like having like officers who like harass students but still I feel like people don't quite understand how like emotionally jarring that is to experience like for people to make you like internalize so much hatred of yourself um to like not mince words about it like that's what it does to people is that like so many people go through there and they go in like a beautiful young resilient like four or five year old just like precious like young black kid and you come out the other end and you like I don't know have so many like emotional scars and like have so much like trauma and like damage and like you don't see yourself the way that you should all because like like people chew you up in there and then spit you out um not to be super dramatic but like you know like yeah it's not a good feeling um and like it i don't know like already being like the odd one out is difficult in and of itself without other people pointing it out to you constantly or like making you feel actively bad about being different Mm -hmm. um and so that's actually something that we discussed like if you want to go into like kind of the reform document that we made so if you noticed in the letter that tope read that um she said that in response to this we um we talked about basically like coming up with like a series of suggestions that we think that need to be implemented effective immediately. And so that series of suggestions is actually all outlined in a document. Um, and in the document, we basically explicitly listed out the different ways that racism manifests. And I think that one of the things that you see most early on is like this, what I called othering of black people 
in the like Mecklenburg area Catholic school system. And really it's not just restricted to the Mac system. It could be probably any school system that is like extremely homogenous and has like one or two minorities thrown in there. Um, but yeah, no, and uh, the reason why we were even so passionate about this in the first place isn't really just for us to like, I don't know, like lick our wounds and like cry about it and like look back at the past and be like, oh my God, people were so mean to me. Like, like that sucks and it shouldn't have happened. And I think that that's like actually, like it's a crime. Like people should care more about that because it does leave a lasting impact on us as human beings and we deserve to grow up feeling like good about ourselves and safe in our environment emotionally and all that stuff but like even more so i don't think that the institution realized like the types of people that they were sending out into the world because it's one thing to negatively impact us like within our small contained community of like the mecklenburg area catholic schools but like um yeah like they turn 18 they graduate from school they go off into the world into some other capacity and like eventually they grow up, like they have a career, like they make decisions or they're affecting other people besides themselves. And in the event that they need to, uh, I don't know, like work with someone who is different than them, they should be able to do that without causing harm to them. So, yeah. Yeah, I think you're very correct. I think what really opened my eyes to how homogenous it was, was our senior year when we had to take Gov. Yes, oh God. We were I that we were in the same class together. Yeah, we were in the same class together. I remember, I want to bring up a specific discussion um, that we had with one of our teachers who I loved, which, which was one of the only good teachers at Catholic, basically. Is this our AP Gov teacher? Yes. Yeah, what a wonderful lady. Um, she brought up the discussion about whether reverse racism was real. Oh. And I remember saying that it wasn't real and that um, now that I'm looking back on it, the word in itself, like to say reverse racism is inherently saying that, you know, racism only exists, affects minorities in the first place. And I was saying that reverse racism doesn't exist because it comes, racism comes from a place of power and being black, we don't have that power. And I remember so many people fighting me on that. actually gets so heated (laughs) because in the definition on webster's dictionary it doesn't any it doesn't include institutionalized it doesn't include power i was like it doesn't matter but that's what racism is like right i can like i can be prejudiced but like me being actively what you consider racist will never hurt you in your future like what you're saying these kids are coming out of catholic being 18 getting jobs becoming bosses and their implicit biases that they might not know about or they could or explicit biases that they do know about are affecting other people that are trying to make it in this world and it's funny to just it was so funny during that class because i remember one kid was like well what if it's an all black um company and they only have black people and then it's like an all black country i was like yes and in that instance that doesn't exist in the world that we currently live in yeah they would be racist i just (laughs) that gov class really opened my eyes because up until that point I think I was living in my own little bubble of friends I didn't really like I kept to myself most of the time so I didn't really know the opinions of everyone else yeah well until that class and it made me realize that a, a lot of people are out of touch and don't see the amount of privilege that they have 
I think out of touch is like the biggest key phrase that uh, I wanted our administrators to take away from like the letter was just that like, like so many of the students who go to our school do not exist in the real world. Um, and that's not even to say that like, I don't know, like me at age 18 was like, oh, so worldly and like knew so much. It was just like such a sage, like let her teach everyone, like no. But like the way in which people had actual just fake conceptions of reality and like did not know anything outside of themselves is like just so troubling like the things that people would say were wild like why like people talk about like I don't know like someone made that one comment about like all immigrants looking the same and that's why we shouldn't like have immigration reform that allows people to become U.S. citizens or why we shouldn't accept refugees or like one person was like, oh yeah, what if we accept refugees into the country? And then one of them like bombs them all while my sister is there. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, Yeah, I think what's really important, like what's really funny about these discussions is people bringing up hypotheticals that just don't happen. Exactly. That and ignoring the actual real life things that already happened that objectively disprove them. Like, your sister is much more likely to get shot by a white boy in school. Sorry to say it. Sorry to say it, but that's just the country, that's the America that we live in, so. Because it's, it's interesting to see how everyone's wording was like they were af basically afraid of immigrants, afraid of anything that's yeah. different. And they haven't been exposed to black people to other minorities people that are, have different religions than them exactly and i went to the university of miami which i don't think is that diverse either it's still basically a pwi yeah but i think just that little inkling of getting out into being in a actual city because it's not really a college town it's a city of itself is exposed even me to more like new realities of what we actually live like the world we actually live in and yeah happening and going on and I hope that people that actually went to college have unlearned some of these things but I can't I can't say what's happened and what what they're yeah. doing now no that's the thing is that like I think that college does a lot of the work of uh like getting people to unlearn what they know about the world just because people come from such insular communities and that's like not always your fault if you like grew up in a place where everyone is the same as you so you just don't know certain things but I do think that it's I think that our education system should make more of an effort to try and make citizens who at least know how to like think critically about situations like it can do research about the world on their own and like formulate an opinion that's mm -hmm. not just like based off of fear-mongering or like I don't know what they say on like whatever news station your parents listen to or literally is just like a regurgitation of like whatever rhetoric like your parent or grandmother like tells you yeah. um, and i think especially it needs to start with the teachers because yeah. i think some of the teachers don't know how to talk about tough topics yes um, my sister currently goes to catholic um she's a junior and she says that every time her teacher brings up slavery which is like what they're learning about now he he's like slavery he brings on a different voice and he doesn't know how to talk about it in a real way yeah I think that if you can't even talk about what's happened in the past how are we going to make the future any better like you should 
be able to talk about race in the classroom and have an active discussion and have actual students participate in it. Yeah, that was like such a big thing that we like also hammered in our like reform suggestions was that like so many classes have such great rich opportunities to be able to facilitate some of these discussions like not just gov where you're explicitly discussing like politics uh but even like like history classes obviously are like so huge in like shaping the way that people understand the world or even literature classes like when you read books that are by black authors like first of all please read books that are by black authors or have black characters in them like throw that into the curriculum like stop reading moby dick but anyways um and beyond that yeah like english classes are also a place where you can facilitate those discussions and like like have more nuanced discussion of like what the i don't know social context for this might have been like why it was significant like why the author might have felt this way why a character might have felt that way and like bring race into the discussion because it's important and it's relevant and i think that people should get comfortable literally just saying the words like black white like race like african-american like slavery like racism like using those words in your vocabulary and understanding that like you, I don't know, learning to understand how these, like, like, how oppression has worked historically and how it continues to, like, persist into the modern day doesn't have to, like, be an indictment of, like, you as an individual, but it also is good for you to be able to acknowledge the fact that, like, that is the world that we live in, that is the world that, like, brought us to where we are at this present moment. These things are real. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that there are definitely also teachers who don't treat these things like they're real. Like I definitely remember learning that the Civil War was just about states' rights and not about slavery. And I was like, it sounds very fake to me, but it was what was taught. And uh, that's another thing is that we have to make sure that we are teaching accurate forms of history. And I think that it's important for us to also, uh, like in the same way that we should read books by black authors and literature classes, I think that it would be nice if we centered more like black voices in history too and like use primary sources that are from black individuals throughout history so we can see like these people's perspective on an, on some event in history and not just learn it from like the history textbook that we're looking at you know yeah i think um i watched recently um chris rock was on a um he was on a podcast or something like that i think um, the way we learn history is to make it very digestible yeah. for Americans because there are so many other realities that we don't know that happens and that we don't talk about that happened during slavery, that we don't talk about happened during um, the civil rights movement. And Chris Rock, he was saying that I don't particularly like civil rights movies and I, to a certain extent, agree. I think they're good to have, but I think most of the time he said this, he was like, most of the time it just focused on a sit-in or them just protesting the street. But like a lot of the reality was if during that time, if a white man wanted to walk into your household, they would and they would just take things and there wasn't anything that you could do about it because like they know they could get away with this crime. Like yeah, if that's they're hungry, they can just go into a black household that across the street that's cooking food and then just take something and then just leave. They they could sexually assault the black women and they couldn't report anything to the police because the police weren't on their side. They right. could do all these forms of harm and not get caught, but we don't learn about those things. We learn about um, 
Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, and that's basically it. We don't delve into other um, like activists like Angela Davis. We don't talk about um, the Black Panther Society. Like we, I've learned yeah. so much just from being in quarantine and the pandemic and just like further educating myself that I haven't, didn't learn in high school that I feel like I should have. No, I 100% agree. I think that Black history is like so, there's so much to it. Like there's so much. To it. And I feel like Black history is American history and American history is Black history. Uh, like specifically the history of like slaves that were brought to North America. Um, but they, they romanticize it a lot, I think is what I wanted to say is that a lot of it is like made into this kind of like, like glamorized, like uh, rags to riches like struggle but then everything came out okay in the end like type of storybook fantasy whereas like I feel like a lot of it is like gritty and like it was like decades and decades like centuries of just like misfortune like not just misfortune there were good things obviously um and highs and lows and there was a reconstruction period which I feel like we never really delve into and like how like the ending of that has had economic repercussions for people who like like black families who have been in the United States for generations. Um, but that's not ever discussed. And I feel like that's such important context for you to know just like going into the world the way that you look at like black people and black communities, especially with so much of like the judgment that comes from people who are like like quote hood or like quote ghetto, like quote like poor, like whatever. Um, but yeah, and like that context is all just being glossed over and then people develop all these like crazy like biases and prejudices without really having like the full story or narrative of like what being Black in America actually means. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. I think there's a fine line to walk between like exploiting trauma in a way that's not productive and like being realistic instead of romanticizing things. Yeah, I think we like to believe that racism happened a really long, like segregation happened such a long time ago, but it wasn't really a long time ago. Ruby Bridges, who was the first, um, who integrated, like was the first black girl to integrate schools is only 66 years old. She's only 66. Yeah, like my grandma was older than that. Yeah, so the people that were protesting in the streets um, for Ruby Bridges not to integrate into school that were yelling at her, throwing things, they're still alive. Right. There's, there's, it's not like it happened so long ago that these people are dead, that they're not alive, that these biases aren't being taught. Like they're gonna teach it to their children and their children are gonna teach it to their children. And we have to try and break that cycle by instituting things that will help people form their own opinions. No, exactly. I 100% agree with that. Um, yeah, I just definitely think that more of like the context of how recent things are and also how like racism has transformed over the years because like we said, it's not like just something that happened a really long time. Like it's still obviously going on today. And I think that for people to understand how the systems of our world, like the like carceral system in the United States, for example, uh, like creates such wide disparity or how like the electoral systems, how like our public education system, like how all of these things like like basically keep the same laws that were abolished previously, but just in a de facto sense or just in like a implicit sense. Um, I think that that is like important context to give to people.
Yeah, if people aren't seeing the racism directly, they don't think it exists, but there are things within our laws that are still uplifting the racist things that existed previously, even if they aren't saying it right to our face. Exactly. I also like, think that for us, oh, sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, no, you can go ahead. This is like kind of a shift, but I also think that it's interesting being in Catholic school specifically because there's like an aspect of social teaching that also is like emphasizing our curriculum. Like we went to religion class every single day for all eight semesters of high school. Um, and every single semester of religion is different. And one of them at least is devoted to social teaching, if not more. But I feel like we never really discuss like racial justice or racism in our Catholic social teaching classes. And we like emphasize so heavily like being pro-life, um, like having gone to Catholic school. And then at the same time, like saying something like Black Lives Matter is controversial and people won't talk about that in their classrooms or yeah. they'll like actively censor people who try and spread that same message. Yeah. Um, My sister's class, they, a student made a Black Lives Matter um, like I mural, I yeah. saw that. And they took it down. Yeah. Which is just like censoring the student in general. And then to say that maybe if they said it was political, there's other political things that they are kind of giving to us. Kind of like saying pro-life, that's political. But yeah. We're learning about that. But why can't a student have this Black Lives Matter thing presented? In no, school? exactly. And like, I understand that like the school is a private institution, like they're entitled to do whatever they want. Um, but at the same time, I, they also, like, I spoke to someone at the school about it, and they specifically said that the reason they did it is because, like, especially given the approaching election and, like, the, I don't know, like, way that the world is set up right now, like, they wanted to do something to remain, like, apolitical. Um, but I just feel like that was an inherently political decision. Like having that up there and then deciding, I wanna take this down, like that is a loaded political decision. Like deciding, they said that they like got rid of like the young Republicans and young Democrats clubs or like halted their activities for now. Um, which I don't know if I necessarily find that to be productive. Like I feel like facilitating discussion put, would be more conducive to like, I don't know, a positive environment than just like censoring everything. But I also get that that can be hard and maybe they're just like, we don't have the bandwidth for that, whatever. Anyways, um, but yeah, no, I just like, I don't understand why like a painting literally just commemorating people who have lost their lives quite obviously due to racism is so inflammatory or so politically loaded like so like why does it have to be political like why can it not just be a human rights issue like why can it not just be a right versus wrong mm -hmm. or like a something that christ would want versus something that christ would be against type of issue like i don't think that like black lives matter has to be a phrase that is like polar like it shouldn't be polarizing but I think that for whatever reason, people have like weird perceptions of it where they think that it's like either like anti-white rhetoric or I don't know, because of, it's associated with the same, you know, like AOC, Bernie Sanders, like coalition that we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. Like, uh, I don't know, they just see it in a light where they're like, oof, can't endorse that. But the fact that you feel like you can't endorse that, like, that's the very same issue where we were talking about, like, we don't feel valued by this school. Yeah. And um, 
your letter got over 500 signatures from alumni, maybe past teachers and anyone that has read it. And you were calling for the school to implement changes. Have you heard anything back from Catholic at all or Mac school system? So um, we address everything to the entire Mecklenburg area Catholic school system. We heard back uh, words of affirmation basically almost immediately from uh, quite a few teachers from Charlotte Catholic. I also want to put that out there that there's a lot of wonderful people who work at that school. Mm-hmm. Like this is not to like bash on them and say like, oh, Charlotte Catholic is the worst school ever. Like, no, there's a lot of great teachers yeah. who are there, a lot of really good faculty, um, but they just have like some systemic issues that need to be handled. But we got a lot of support from them and actually had a meeting with them. Like they voluntarily elected to bring in me and um, another friend who worked on like this little project to just get like have a very candid discussion like see like where could I personally be doing better and then how can I take these things to my colleagues and like help them do better and then like how can we help you on a broader scale like make change within the entire system. Um, And so that was really nice. We got words back from the principal of Holy Trinity, which was great, and he said that he was going to share the letter with all of his teachers at the school and have all of them read it and, like, have discussion about how they're going to do better. Um, We got word back from the superintendent and actually have met with him twice now. Um, And so he's working on um, initiatives to get, like, cultural competency slash diversity training done. And so he's working to see who would be able to do that for the teachers. They haven't actually implemented it yet, but we have his word at least that he said that that's something that he's trying to prioritize. Um, We have heard from, we heard from um, the principal of Charlotte Catholic with regard to that issue specifically about the Black Lives Matter painting. Um, And know that he was in support of like a lot of the initiatives that we had put forth before um, and also talked about how he wanted to do diversity training for his teachers and updates to the curriculum. I think the place where we were lacking in response from was really the elementary school, Mm -hmm. which is like both understandable but also disappointing because I feel like that's like such a critical time period to try and change these things. Um, I think that there's a lot of like fun and exciting things that can be done with students when they're older more mature like have more material that they can work with but I think that like the like inhibition of like that way of thinking at elementary school age is like so key and so it was kind of sad to see that like it didn't really seem like anything was being done at that level or at least nothing that we could see obviously or anything that was communicated to us but there definitely has been something of a response and there are things that are being done currently. That's great. Going forward, what would you like to see? I know they haven't really implemented anything yet, but I see that they're making strides to make changes and that's amazing. But like, what would you really like to see happen? Like what changes specifically would you like to see happen? Um, I'd want like a, like, I don't know, racial um, or like race and ethnicity, like oversight committee to be part of like the school board for them to have people to be able to like hear cases of like racial injustice at the school um, or like oversee like the implementation of all these different changes just to make sure that there's like a body within the system that is like there to hold people accountable or like full-time diversity and inclusion uh, like staff. 
um i know that at other like like private schools they have those uh integrated into them and so i think that that would be really beneficial to see um i'd love to see like a big overhaul of a lot of the like content that we look at in school in terms of like literature uh i don't know like films that we watch uh materials that we use for learning in the classroom especially in history social studies um just to get us like learning new things from new voices as opposed to only hearing like the same narratives from the history textbooks i'd love to see classes be more discussion based um i'd love to see the curriculum skewed towards like integrating a lot of critical thinking into the curriculum as opposed to us just kind of like receiving and regurgitating information like us taking it upon ourselves to like do our own research for things and like come up with like not even like a super intensive way like we don't have to write like dissertations but just like giving us the opportunity to like look at a primary source and think about it and then say something about it um i think would be great um i think like really helping teachers and administrators become more aware of things that are racially insensitive because it's not every single thing that is overt there are a lot of things that were said and done that were overtly racist and uh, like very disappointing to see also just go kind of brushed under the rug. But I think that making them more aware of when things are not okay and like not always putting the onus on a student to speak up for themselves, especially because sometimes they might speak up and nothing will be done anyway, would be huge. Um, that's a lot of things, but really like, a huge culture shift i think is what needs to be had and i think it's possible it'll take baby steps and it won't happen overnight but i think that the school environment could become less toxic for students of color little by little so yeah i think we've already gone through the system we just want little black boys and girls to go through it and not have to come out <laughs> um come out with bad experiences and bad um, things to say, I think. Exactly. Because it's a good educational system to be a part of. Like it definitely is good for like college prep and like. Yeah, we both were lucky to like go to a really good colleges. Like we yeah. did get a good education. Exactly. They're just nice a little happier along the way, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I also want to talk a little bit about it, how it's just not in schools that people need to be involved, but it can also be in your community. I think a um, really important part, like we are recording this on election day, I think elections are important. Um, but it's not just the presidential election that's important. Your local government is important because your local government will affect you more than whoever the president is. So it's important to try and vote in your local elections. And I know a lot of people feel like their voices aren't going to be heard because no matter the results of this election, even if Joe Biden does win, not it's not going to be an immediate change, like nothing, like we can't just say we can go back to normal. And I think that's what a lot of people are currently thinking that, ah, yes, we won't have an overtly um, racist president, so things will go back to normal. But as we could see under the Obama administration, there were still black people being killed by police. Like, so we still have to do the work 
and yeah. you can do that be get, by getting involved with grassroots organizations in your community. Um, I wanted to list one that's in Charlotte. If you follow them on Twitter, it's Charlotte Uprising, which is just CLT Uprising. And they have a lot of ways to get involved. And you should be donating to mutual aid funds, to bail funds in your community. I think it's important to donate not to organizations, but things locally, because as you can see, like if you donate to big organizations, you don't really exactly see where that money is going. But if you direct donate directly to GoFundMe's of people that are in need, you know exactly where your money is going and you know exactly who you're helping. Yeah. Or if you see people on the street, like give something to them if you have it. Yeah. I think a lot of things that we've learned, we've learned that um, asking for help is not like not something that we should be doing, but I think it, we should be coming together as a community, helping those in need. And I think it's funny how, especially in media, like if you think of the show iCarly, yeah, they would say hobo and yeah. like, it as an insult when like that shouldn't be the case. Like they're houseless people and some of it like, it's not entirely their fault. It's like this system that is stacked against them. And if they yeah. need help, we should be able to try and help them. Yeah, I think like the whole, this whole movement, so much of it is about like basic human rights and like empathy. And like, that's all that people are fighting for. It's just like, no one should not live in like a dignified circumstance. Like people should not be houseless. Like people should not starve. Like people should not be ill. Like people should not not have access to the healthcare that they desire. Um, and so many of these things could be like reformed with policy, which is why it's important to like look at what your elected officials are doing. And unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, cases in which you'll have races where none of your elected officials are like super gung ho on any of, on rectifying a lot of these societal ills. Because mm -hmm. um, it's hard, like it's hard to like change a system from the inside out. I actually don't even know if it's possible question mark. Mm -hmm. um some people say you know burn it all down i don't know what the right answer is what i do know is that it's never wrong to do the right thing so help people out when you see them you know just help people make their material and emotional needs um and that's really what it's about yeah i think growing up in like a western culture we've it's been ingrained to be very individualistic to think about yourself but i think you it's important to think about other people. Like we are collectible. Um, if someone's hurting, then you should be there to lend a helping hand. So. Yeah. I think that like one thing that I've done is like, like I feel like I've been so blessed throughout my entire life to never have really faced any sort of like truly significant hardship, at least materially. Um, and so like I, like when I have things and I feel like there's someone else who could I don't know, benefit from what I have more than I could. Like, I try my best to be able to be like, okay, let me part with this because I know that they're going to need it so much more than I will, or I know that this is going to benefit them so much more than it will me. And I feel like that's kind of just like where it all starts is just like learning to look out for other people and not feel so entitled to everything you have. Because at the end of the day, so much of like where we begin and where we end up is just pure luck. Mm -hmm just pure luck. Like, I did nothing to be born into the family that I was born into. Like, that was God literally being like, all right, 
(laughs) out into the world enjoy and like like that dictates everything for you so I'm like I don't feel entitled to be like in the position that I am and I don't think that anybody else should have that same state of mind Mm -hmm. Um, which is why you know we just need to be a nice little village and take care of everyone so yeah well thank you so much for coming on the podcast with me it was great talking to you yes this is fun yeah if you and I have known each other for such a long time longer than high school yeah I'm doing that when we were like six yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well this is day one homie yeah both our dads Nigerian doctors exactly such a actually a real a real clan a gang (laughs) (laughs) actually a clan (laughs) yeah but it was fun having you it was fun talking to you yeah no thank you so much this was great yeah is there anything that you would like to have listeners know plug anything that um that's so good you mentioned clt uprising i think that they're a great organization organization to be plugged in for people in the charlotte area um another one that i want to plug is queen city nerve um they're like a alternative news source but they're a good place to get news from um you can follow me on instagram if you want uh my at is at where is ify ogu um so that's where is i-f-y-o-g-u um uh, actually i don't know because now i'm private so i'll even accept it just try it anyway (laughs) um and then uh, yeah i don't know just be nice everyone that's my that's my singular plug is just be kind Okay, so Nerds Rule Inc. is all about um, mental health awareness and what have you been doing to sustain your mental health during the pandemic? Oh my gosh. Um, Oh wow, what a question. Um, I try to exercise. I try to, I am a person of faith, so I pray daily. I do breathing exercises if I get anxious. Um, I take my anxiety medication, because that's important. Everyone should do that. Um, Go to therapy, do that too. Um, Yeah, I don't know, take care of yourself, talk to people, be open about how you're feeling uh, with someone. Like I promise that if they care about you even a little bit, they'll be glad that you said something as opposed to keeping things bottled up. Yeah, and when things are hard, just sit through it. Because they won't be hard forever. Nothing bad lasts forever. So that's my advice. Thank you guys for listening to the Nerds Rule Inc. podcast, Fix Your Crown. And I will see you guys soon. Yeah, thank you, Ify. Thank you. Bye. All right. Hey guys, it's Tope. Just wanted to add one more thing. I will be linking the letter that I read aloud during the podcast in the bio, along with the reform that Ify drew up with the other Black alumni. If you want to check it out, you could also sign the petition to get more signatures and draw more attention to it. Um, So thank you guys for listening. It's been great, and I will definitely see you soon. Bye, guys.